You know, I always like when they, when they sing the song about Mount Zion, you know, that we've come to Mount Zion. And, and you know, it's, it's basically a, it's basically straight out of Hebrews 12, which is Hebrews 11, 12, and 13 are probably the most profoundly uh, mystical or s- spiritual, supernaturally charged um, three passages in the Bible. They're three of the most, I would say. And you know that Hebrews 12, when you look at it, it's a, he's, he's actually, the, the, the writer is, is literally talking about you haven't come to the mountain of the Old Testament, to a proverbial mountain that was a symbol of what you've actually walked into. And I love that this chapter because it's, it's, it really feels like it's speaking to those people who are walking in Christianity and it's saying like, hey, you haven't come to the religious system in this life. This isn't another life of rituals where you just remember things from the past and, and you kind of, you roll through the, the motions here. And it says in Hebrews 12, 22, you've actually come to Mount Zion, the true heavenly mountain. You know, not the one in the Middle East, the city of heaven. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. The writer saying, hey, this is actually supposed to be your reality. The walk of Christianity is so profoundly supernatural and it is such a mystic reality. Without having to take drugs or be in some you know, weird seance type of club, it, but it is also not the other extreme of just a religious system where we come and we remember things and we roll through the motions of this life according to the rules of the knowledge of good and evil. We've actually come to the general assembly, the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to the God and judge of all to the spirits of men made perfect. The cloud of witnesses, the eternal cloud of people that have walked before us. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, It's just like, this is, this is our reality. The beginning of Hebrews 12 is literally talking about that. You know, it's like, it, it literally says we're, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. In other words, you're not alone and you you have never been. And now you're stepping into this reality of the Christian walk that your mind and your heart is so much more awakened to reality. And it's not limited to this carnal realm, you know. And there's, there can be debates on Hebrews 12, 1 and that, what that means, but, but biblically, I'm tell, that's what it means, you know? And I've experienced it. I've actually experienced this reality on several occasions that is, that is um, transformed my mind and my life. Because all revelation that comes from the Lord can be found in the Scriptures, and it can be walked out in the real world in practical ways. It results in freedom, which is my theme I would say for this coming year but let me back off of that because I didn't feel like it was for today but that our body and our house those who walk with the Lord are going to walk in higher levels of freedom freedom from things we didn't even know we were bound to sometimes when we connect to the Lord because where the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty there is freedom that's the that's the atmosphere and the vibe of heaven is of freedom it's not the fear of man. It's not caring what people think. <laughs> you know how we come across or look. Our fruit is actually love. And our heart in this life of freedom is to walk in such wholeness, you know, that we're completely free from everything that used to hold us back. 
or as Hebrews 12 says, the, you know, the, the, the sins and the, and, and the weights and the things that easily ensnared us as humans. You know. Anyhow, it goes on in Hebrews 12 to talk about to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And it says something in, in, in uh, Hebrews 12, 25, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. This is the essence, most likely it's value, but the essence of what I want to talk about today is valuing the voice of God, which is the new covenant. Stepping into this relational connection to God that he's actually made for us. See that you don't refuse him who speaks. For, for if they did not escape him who refused him who spoke on the earth, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven? Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he's promised yet once more, I shake not only the heavens, or not only the earth, but also heaven. You know, it's talking about this, this stuff. It's talking about the value of Christianity that we've come into is a people who are connected to God in a relational way. We set aside time, we create space for him in our lives, and his voice comes into our life and actually causes shaking. The shaking is of the Lord, you know. But just as the scripture says, it's like the things which shake are the things which are temporary of this plastic carnal world. And part of the alignment of God is actually hearing and knowing his voice in such a way that we are actually stepping on a rock, a solid foundation with him that will never shake. And all the things that actually don't matter they rattle and we think, oh, you know, the devil's after me. There's a sh real shaking going on. You know what I mean? But it's like, or, or it could be that we make room for the voice of God in our life. And everything that's worthless or not eternal begins to shake around us. And we move more and more into the alignment with that which is eternal, the eternal purpose. And in doing that, our whole life becomes full of life. Our being becomes whole, and the freedom that I'm talking about becomes our, ap our absolute essence. It's actually our inheritance. You know? Yeah, these, this Hebrews 11, 12, and 13, it's so profound if we were going to go into it, but I, I really just wanted to, to tag on the reality. We haven't come to a religious system. We've come to Mount Zion, to heaven itself. You know, to, to Jacob's ladder was Jesus himself and is Jesus. The angels ascend and descend. It's the house of God, Bethel. All of these uh, you know, prophetic pictures from the Old Testament. It's just like this is the reality of, of those who are calling heaven to earth. And the second song that they wrote, Spirit and Truth, really great job, guys. But it's like, you know, it's, it's this reality like the angels that ascend and descend upon the Son of Man. That's actually us, the messengers of heaven who are entering into this heavenly life, into this mystical reality, this Christianity, and we are the, the agents that ascend and descend upon Jesus' life and release the light and love and life of God by the fruits of His Spirit and His nature to all of those around us. But there is a catch in this one, in this chapter. It says, hey, this is, you know, it starts off, you know, you're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. It goes into, you've come to Mount Zion, you're actually there, verse 22. But there's a little bit of a catch in verse 16, where it says, hey, beware, lest there be any fornicator or profane person among you like Esau, who actually, for one morsel of food, sold his birthright. 
For afterwards, he wanted to go back and and inherit what was promised to him. But it was too late. That's verse 16 to 17. And it's like, for you haven't come to this mountain. You've come to the reality of your inheritance. So it's talking about this beautiful inheritance that we have to walk in, Hebrews 12. But it's also talking, hey, and also, beware lest there's this, these attitudes within you that caused Esau, the very patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Isaac, the one who inherited the promises of, of his father, Jacob, the, you know, the the, that the seed, that out of his lineage would the entire world, all the families of the earth would be blessed. It's like, it's like, hey, by the way, and don't be like Esau if you want to step into this reality. You know? And we don't know tons about Esau. I mean, we know a pretty good bit. He was pretty hairy, right? A little hairy fellow, you know? But the hairiness of Esau represented the carnal nature of man. You know? Well, like a Sasquatch, you know what I'm saying? It's like it's this fallen carnal nature demonic being you know what I mean it's just like that's what it represented and it's like hey don't be so carnal and if you look back at the story of Jacob and Esau it's very funny but we look back in like Genesis uh, 25 when when you know these babies are born twins but because Esau popped out first he was like the first of the birthright you know to, to inherit his father's Legacy, which was Abraham and then Isaac's legacy. He was the firstborn. He was going to get this promise that God had, uh, had blessed their family with about this blessed lineage. But something happens that's kind of silly in, in Genesis 25, and you can read it on your own, Genesis 25 through like 28 if you want this week. But it's like he comes in from the field and he, he's so very hungry, right? That he's like, I'm starving to where his, I would say, little brother, but they're twins, little by, you know, a minute. Not even. He was grasping his ankle. You know, he had a, Jacob had a hold of Esau's ankle when the twins were birthed out. So that's a tie to me. That's crossing the finish line as a tie, but, you know, they didn't ask me. But, you know, he comes out, you know, born as a tie almost. One day Esau's super hungry, super hairy and super hungry that day, you know. Thanks for laughing at that. Um, but Jacob comes in. He's like, well, I'll give you some stew. if I, I'll trade you. I, I've made a pot, a pot of stew if, if you give me your birthright. Give me the right of the firstborn son. And Esau literally says something. What's that? What's a birthright to me? Genesis 25, like, I don't care about that. I don't care about that. Yeah, you're about all that superstitious religious stuff. I'm not. He said, what's the birthright to me? I'm about to die, man. He wasn't about to die. He was just really hungry. You know what I mean? Here, I'm about to die. And he's like, all right, well, I'll, I'll give you my stew then. So, of course, he trades. He says, fine, you can have it. He, he makes a deal and trades the, the birthright of the firstborn son, which these men were in, in, in the line of the promise of Abraham, their grandfather. And Isaac, their dad, you know what I mean? And like... It says he despised his birthright. Or in other words, he saw it as, as worthless. You know. So Hebrews 12 is saying, hey, don't be like him who saw this, his spiritual inheritance as just completely worthless and just religious. This isn't religion. This is something far more profound. Don't be profane like him, which is the word pornos. You know, you know what that's about. You know, and, and, or don't be profane pornos. And, 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 you know, yeah. It, it's interesting. 
Let me see here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to go over to it in Genesis 25 just to make sure we're tracking or I'm tracking. So he, sell, he sells his birthright to him. And apparently he doesn't really think much of it. And I love the fact that they ended up calling Esau, his name ended up becoming, or basically his nickname became Edom, which means red. So his nickname became red because he sold his birthright for some red beans and rice, some, some stew, some red chili. No one thinks that's funny but me, but I think that's absolutely hilarious. It's funny. There goes old Red. Imagine that. Like, he was known for that. Why do they call him Red? Because like after Red Stew, like, what does he like Red Stew? Like, well, he actually sold his, his birthright for Red Stew. Really? That's, that's strange. It's like, yeah, but he didn't count it as, he thought it was worthless. He didn't think it was a big deal. He's like, I don't care. We're rich. Our family's rich. I don't care. You get the birthright. I get the birthright. I don't care. That's the God portion. I don't care about that. You know? So anyways, he despised his birthright. You know. A couple chapters later, Isaac's passing away. Right? Their dad. Genesis 27. Jacob basically hears via his mother, Hey, your dad's about to, to bless Esau with the anointing of the firstborn, you know, to bless him with the firstborn son. It's like, that's, that's the birthright, you know. Apparently Esau, the dad, didn't realize they had already had a little bit of an exchange and he bought it fair and square. So he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna bless his son, Esau, right? He says, well, go make me some stew because Esau is a hunter. Go catch some wild game and, and make me some awesome stew. Esau goes out to catch it. Of course, Jacob's kind of lurking in them shadows and he's like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll get you some stew all right. He knew his dad was blind, or very close to blind, almost completely blind. So Esau literally puts on a fake outfit. He literally puts, or I'm sorry, Jacob, he literally puts hair all over his arms, animal hair over his arms, so that he actually appears to be hairy like his brother. Because his plan is, him and his mom's, I'm going to go in and I'm going to let dad feel my arms and, and give me that supernatural blessing. Because I really want it. To which I'm like, you already bought it fair and square. You should just tell him what you did. But I guess he wasn't thinking that way. He literally puts on a garment to make him seem like his brother to his blind dad. Can you think of anything more sketchy than that? I tricked my blind dad to think I was my older brother by a minute um, so that he would, he would pray and give me this blessing of, of, of Yahweh, of the God of Abraham and Isaac. You know, So that's what he does. Jacob, his, his, his name literally means like that he's sketchy, basically. It means trickster or deceiver, sketch artist, whatever, you, you know. It, that's what his name's actually about, supplanter, you know. So here's Jacob dressed up as his brother like a Halloween costume in order to get his needs met. Something we'll probably really go into next week, some other stuff I want to go after. But here's Jacob who's learning to actually change his identity and his personality in order to get his needs met and get what he wants. Now, God, being the one who's blessed Abraham and Isaac and who's going to bless the next one through them, could have seen this and said, you're disqualified, you're doing it through a sketchy means. But God actually allows it to happen because he actually likes it. Right? Thank you. Yes. It's funny. He actually likes it. And some people are like, well, that's not in the Bible. It, it is. Jacob have I loved. Esau I've despised. Yeah, he, he, the, the reality that Jacob wanted the inheritance 
the heavenly inheritance so bad that he was willing to do anything for it. It wasn't about his personality. It wasn't about that he had uh, some bad character flaws, right? Maybe a little poor integrity, which he obviously did. It wasn't even about those things. It's about that he wanted his true spiritual inheritance more than anything else. That was his priority. And that Esau didn't really give a rat's tail. He didn't care. You know what I mean? He's just like, whatever. And God loved that about him. For Jacob, he stepped into this profound inheritance. And by the way, he got it. His blind dad's like, ah, you kind of smell, you smell like him. You feel like him, but your voice sounds a little different. Go read Genesis 27, see how funny it is. He's like, no, it's me, I promise. And he tells him, he's like, well, then how did you, I just asked you to go kill, kill some game and make some stew. How did it happen so fast? And Jacob says, the Lord provided for it to happen fast. He pulled the God card. He even used God <laughs> to manipulate his blind dad. And I can see God in heaven in my mind just smiling about that. Like, oh gosh, that's so sketchy. But, it's, it's, you know, but isn't it great? How, how bad he wants this. We think, well, that's not good Christian character, brother. Like, you know what I'm saying? Oh. Yeah, it's, it's hilarious. For Jacob, it was worth being sketchy in order to obtain this inheritance. And what this shows us, is it, it obviously wasn't about character that caused God to see him as worthy of it. You know? Which brings us seeing this parabolic, which was literal, but also parabolic scripture that's being referenced in the New Testament to this incredible concept of grace. Because it shows us that we're not qualified by our actions either, or by our character or our behaviors. But the inheritance of dad is free. It's an inheritance, you know. And the key to stepping into it is just valuing it. And that's what Hebrews 12 was talking about. Don't be like Esau, you know. Don't, don't be like Esau, who, like any fornicator, pornos, or profane person like Esau. It's like, wow, those are strong, hot words to describe Esau with. You know what I mean? But it wasn't about Jacob's good behavior. I love that, that you know, obviously fornicator, pornos, and uh, profane meaning, being Bebelos, which sounds so much like Babylon to me. Not exactly, but it so much sounds like the religious system, the worldly system. And some of the, it depends on how you look at that translation, but it means godless. Which not, we think of godless of almost being like satanic or something, you know what I mean? Godless just be like, you know, people that just, that's just not, that side of the tracks isn't even a, a, a priority at all in their mind. Godless. Like, I just really don't care about that. Like Esau. I'm living my life for myself in the carnal way. Esau, he, he, he was so concerned about indulging his flesh when he was hungry. It was like the natural things of this world so usurped, uh, took a place in his soul and his desires that, that the spiritual inheritance paled in comparison to it. And Jacob, even though he was about as sketchy as they come, you know what I mean? tricked his own blind dad, you know, deceived and lied. God sees him. He understands that's not his true identity, but he loves his heart that he valued it. You know, I'm not condoning being sketchy. 
you know what I mean, or worldly or having bad integrity at all whatsoever because we've stepped into, into something completely new. But what I am saying is that there's obviously a picture here for us to see that this, this whole grace inheritance of the kingdom is not about what we do, but about whose we are, Amen. you know? And when we connect to that, the kindness and goodness of God leads to repentance. Not feeling like a rotten son of a gun. You know what I mean? It's actually feeling that his heart is to give the kingdom. You know? And it's, and this, it's all through the scriptures. It's all through the Bible. We did it last week. I think it was Matthew 20. You know, the, 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 the vineyard owner that comes and he hires people all day long from, from early in the morning till 9 to 12 and all the way to 5 p.m., and then he pays them all this generous good wage for the whole day. And the people that worked the whole day were angry, you know, because the good, the good vineyard owner, who's our debt, you know, had actually paid everybody equally, was blessing everybody. And it was, the, the point was, it's not about what your works is. It's about that I'm actually stepping in to do this for you guys, yeah. you know. And so you have this, um, this divine uh, conflict or this cosmic conflict and this tension between the nature of Esau that's actually so, their values are, are, are in, in the things of this plastic world, you know. And then the nature of Jacob, who, you know, it's like Israel, the people of God, the God of Israel, Yahweh, the God of Israel, is named after this sketchy guy named Jacob. You know what I mean? And it's got like, God's wanting to make a point, a very profound statement in who he chooses. But he's also Back to Hebrews 12, we're talking about this mystical reality of this life that we're living. And it's like, hey, don't be like Esau. Which, in other words, is saying, be like Jacob was. Well, what was the difference? Well, gosh, he was a rotten little scoundrel. Yeah, but he valued the things of eternity. So it's like, hey, don't have a, a, an attitude of godlessness or flippancy or perversion, you know but have a heart of actual value. And when you value the things of heaven, you actually make priority for them. You make, you make space, as what we've been talking about a lot these past few months, you make space in your life for it, and I fill that space. And you step into this. Well, well I hear about this stuff, but I'm, I'm not walking in it. It's like, listen, man, this is the way it works. And Jesus talked about this all the time. He who has ears, let him hear. Like, what does that mean? You know what I mean? He who wants to know. Who wants to listen? Who, who values these things? The disciples never understood the stuff Jesus said. They weren't the sharpest knives in the drawer, right? They were normal, like us. And, and what would they do? After they would talk to him, I love it, it's Mark uh, 4.33. After such parables, um, the disciples had actually come to him in private, and it says in Mark 4.34 that when they were alone, he would explain all things to them. So the differentiation between disciple, right, and regular person meet, attending those meetings, talking to God, wasn't that they were sharper and so they understood the, the reality of what these parables meant. The disciples were ones that came to him after the, after the fact and said, hey, like, I don't get it. Will you develop this for me? And he would. You know what I mean? It's not like, well, you know, they were the chosen few. It's like, listen, man, that's not how this life works. This life works, and what we're talking about, Hebrews 12, the value we place on the voice of God makes room for it in our life, 
and it causes us to enter into the fruits, the mystical reality of walking in this religion. You know? Mark 4, 24, I remember Jesus said, take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, what he has will be taken away from him. And that sounds like some elitist stuff if you're looking at God through this bipolar lens. But in the reality, Jesus is saying, take, take heed the things that you do hear. Create space. Listen to the voice of God. Connect to him. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. You know, it's like the widow with the oil. She gets all, it's like, what did Elisha tell her? Like, go get oil. Go, I mean, I'm sorry, go to your neighbors and borrow vessels. Not just a few, get a lot of them, right? The more vessels she had, the more oil was actually poured out. And, and you know, she had tons of oil, enough to live off of. And it's like, the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. You can go grab a little vial, a little, little, you know, you can go, you can go here or you can grab a little bottle or you can grab, grab a hundred of them. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. With the space that you create and the value that you place on the connection and the voice of God, the relational connection that I've, that I've given you, that he's given us, that's the measure that we'll receive, you know? It's, it's, and it's, it's so profoundly simple, you know what I mean? But especially on this side of the tracks, a lot of times, you know, especially in the you know, charismatic side or the spiritual side or the prophetic or whatever you want to call all this type of stuff, it's like we elevate people as being prophet and apostle or all these different things because they're usually just in a club of themselves and they self-title them those things. Or we, we elevate these giftings and stuff in people. In reality, everybody ties their shoes the same way. Yeah. And God's love and his value for his people is equal, yeah. you know. But it's like many are called, few are chosen. It's like many are called, but few will actually choose. That's what it really is. Few will choose to, to make room for this reality in their life. And to walk by faith in a way where they'll need it. you know, And to walk in a way with the shepherd that actually will, we are willing to do what he actually calls us into. And this is the reality of this stuff. You know. I love that. I read that in Psalm 81 this week. Now I'm just kind of on a covered dish meeting, but um, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Amen. She's like, what does that mean? It's like, I am desiring to feed you with heaven. You know what I mean? You have to just, op you just have to be open and make room for what I want to do in your life. You know, there, there's something to coming to Jesus as Lord, coming to him as God and as Lord that also causes this whole thing to open up dramatically for us. You know what I'm saying? It's Matthew 7, where he's talking about the wise and the foolish. In Matthew 7, 24, he's talking about, you know, the one who hears and does my word is like somebody who's actually built their house on the rock. When the, the huge storm comes, it doesn't affect the house because it's built on the rock. It's like there's something with the heart to actually follow through, like he's actually Lord of our life, to where we create space. But there's also something to creating space is we don't come into our relationship with the Lord with contingencies on our behalf. Yeah. It's like we don't come to him and it's just like, well, I want to create space and I want to hear, but there's certain things I don't want to hear. There's certain things I don't want you speaking into. You know what I mean? Or there's certain things I will not do. So don't even ask me to do that. Now, what would you like to tell me? It's just like, that's not talking to God. You know what I mean? 
But we can be that way. Amen. People can, you know, we can be that way sometimes. Uh, there's something beautiful that Jesus said. I read this this week as well. Let me find it over here. Uh, in John 7, people were talking trash to him. Surprise, surprise. Religious leaders and stuff. And he says something. My doctrine's not mine, but it's him who sent me. Right? And it was very interesting when he says this. If any, and he says, if anyone wills to do his will, if anybody has the will to do God's will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it's from God or whether I speak on my own authority. And it's very interesting there. It's like, I want to hear God's voice. I want to, I want to enter into this. You talk about that. You know, it's like, no, 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 no. Like Jesus said in John 7, 17, it's like, he who wills to do God's will. When they, we come to him and create space with Jesus, with God as the Lord of our life, in this, in this way is like, hey, whatever you have for me, not with contingencies, like you can't speak into this, and don't ask me to do that. Don't ask me to forgive somebody either. I just want you to talk to me. You know what I mean? When we come like controlling God, that's not, that's not you don't control somebody like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> you can't control God, you know? But Jesus, this is a little, little heads up. It's like, hey, if, if you will to do my will, if you will to do God's will, you'll know his voice and what I'm speaking about. The Aramaic translation of that, which is really beautiful, he says, whoever is satisfied to do God's satisfaction will gain liberating knowledge. I got to do that again because it hit me. Whoever is satisfied to do God's satisfaction will gain liberating knowledge. This is the freedom we're talking about. See, the thing about the voice of the Lord, it is liberating. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, right? It's like, but when we come into Him with this relational connection that's not based on contingencies, we're actually just making room, open our mouths to fulfill. We're the daily bread. We're, we're creating the space, not being like Esau. We actually value that is which of the voice of the Lord because we realize everything in this world is going to shake, but that which is eternal will not. And we realize what Jesus said there in John uh, 7. It's like, Hey, listen, Hugh, Hugh hears the voice, hears my voice, and actually follows through on it. It's like building your house on the rock. The world might shake, there might be massive storms, but it won't affect you. Yeah. We're called to live this life of such wholeness that we're like a, I'll say, a city on a hill. You know what I mean? Hey, what, what about it? That we're, we are exemplifying being solid on the voice and the word of the Lord in our life to where it is a light to people. And we speak to them that way. But whoever is satisfied to do God's satisfaction will gain, it doesn't say knowledge, it says liberating knowledge, the freedom of heaven. That was just in some of my own notes this week, but it's like the freedom of heaven comes as we make space. You know, it's like, I can't, I wish I could give an example, but it's too, I wouldn't be able to make the podcast with it. And I, it's personal and there's people in, but you know, this morning I'm reading like, I'm in my Bible over here over at like Luke 15, prodigal son stuff, you know. I'm waking up to get ready for the message today, right? But the Lord, I'm, I've created space, but the Lord's wanting to speak to me about things that have happened in my life 20 years ago, 15 years ago. And I'm like, hey, boss, I don't got time for this. I got to work. I got to go to work soon. I don't got time. We're not talking about me right now. I'm talking to them. You know, I'm trying to give them, uh, I'm going to try to serve something here. I want to, you know, I have a standard. 
have a standard. It has to be meat here. It's in the system. We, we give meat here. We don't, come on, it's not about, you know, I need to focus. You know, no, a little bit. But it's just like, he, he's, he's going into things because it's triggers and then I'm getting sensitive and I'm writing these triggers down. So I have a very specific notebook that I write, okay, okay this is coming up. This is coming up. This, you know, these things are coming up. What, what's going on here? Luke 15 triggered me. Luke 15 is not the message. What's the problem here, Lord? Can we get this out of the way so I can do my job? But we create space for the Lord, and He speaks into the things of the heart that are holding us back from walking in total freedom. And then He's reminding me, hey, remember the cloud of witnesses? Remember Miss Aljo? Do you remember this happening? Do you remember that uh, dream or that vision? Do you remember this? Like, hey, there's, there's aspects of your heart where you really feel alone. You feel like you're going to be uncovered. You feel like you're going to be abused. And, and, and it's coming from da 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 Yeah, yeah. Okay. And it's like making sense. And he's dealing with the things of my heart that are actually causing, that are limiting the life of God flowing through me. Yeah. You know, because I'm creating space. And it would be really cool if I could just say it to you guys, what all, what all it was. But it's not about me. The thing about it is, is like we create space and there's something of this liberating reality, liberating knowledge that happens in our connection with him. He's not concerned necessarily with answering every question we have or even preparing our messages for us that day. You know what I mean? He's, he's concerned with the, the issues of our heart and unlocking us in more freedom. Because more freedom is more authority. Yeah. You know, healing, wholeness, all these different things. And it's a beautiful truth, but we have to come up with our mouth open and he will fill it. We come with the space. We create the space and it's like, yo, I got to work. I got to go to work soon. Like, hey, that's going to be okay. You'll make some notes during worship and you'll be fine. Listen, this is what we're talking about right now. You know what I mean? So, okay. You know, good. Esau, Jacob. You know, and then they did the song about it. So it's like, okay, this this is a little confirmed. This will be fine. You know, it's Thanksgiving anyways. Whatever. <laughs> you know, but it's like this. The reality of creating space, man, is so profoundly important. And the voice which shakes in Hebrews twelve, when we value it, unlike Esau, when we have the the heart of Jacob, even if even if there's there's aspects of our character that needs to be worked out. Hopefully not. Maybe we're, hopefully we're all perfectly, perfectly with integrity and stuff like that. But even if you're in a state like Jacob, when you're, you've, you've been, your hand's been in the cookie jar or whatever, like if our value is to create space and we give him room, he's going to address things and he's going to lead us into truth. Yeah. And he's going to grow us. He's going to cause us to thrive. He's going to give us platform authority. He's going to give you people all around you to, to share the light and love of God by the fruit of his spirit, you know. But the point of even creating space where this process leads, I'll say, is valuing the relational connection that's always available to all of us in this walk, which is Christianity. The veil being torn from top to bottom, Matthew 27, 51, right? You know, that veil being torn and the realms being open again, the heavenly realm. God, who is spirit. Worshiping him in spirit and in truth. And where his spirit is, there's freedom and there's liberty. And there's freedom in that space where we create room for him. You know? When we're, when we're faithful to cultivate this relationship, because we value it, value him, we gain freedom in areas we didn't even know where we were bound. 
And it could be an area that you didn't know was still a trick or bothered you from the past. Yeah. You know? And he can actually come and touch it and actually give you replace where woundedness is yeah. and where triggered ability is, triggerability is, and, and he can replace it with the understanding which brings the authority of God and of heaven there. Yeah. By his stripes, we were healed. Yeah. And by the things we go through in life, we gain the healing of the Lord. But those stripes are like authority on us too. Because the, the things that the Lord has actually walked us through healing of and given us understanding, we will sniff out and we will recognize in our brothers and sisters. And not in the way to say, oh, that's just that bitterness coming up in you, boy. You know what I mean? It's, it's so that we can say, oh, I feel this. I feel this. I can feel you. I know where you're, I know where you're at, but I also know the goodness of God and how he led me out of it. You know? And we walk in the authority to release to others the very things that we've walked through and even more. It's, it's, so, it's, it's funny. Everything's relational, you know. But we haven't come to a religious system. We've come to Mount Zion. Yeah, we've come to something that is profoundly supernatural. Angels, cloud of witnesses, the heavenly mountain, and we're actually there. It's, it's going to be a sad day, I think, in heaven for some people, because there's going to be a lot of tears wiped away, as it says. But when people step into that reality after this life, and they realize that they were in it all along, and we're called to partner with that reality and bring it to earth, you know, but didn't because, well, we didn't want to go there in certain things in our life or, you know what I mean? Or we're just too comfortable, you know, just rid of the system, go to the buffet afterwards and just call it a day. You know what I mean? We're too comfortable. And all that we needed to do, the simplicity was to actually make space. I am not the most intelligent person in the room. Far from it. Now, my wife will tell you, I've grown a lot in the past 20, 15 years we've been married. But it's like, you know, it's like, I am not, especially not the most emotionally intelligent person, right? Couple of laughs over there. Couple of laughs, okay. Couple of smiles and laughs, all right. But I especially wasn't 15 years ago, honestly, and even 10 years ago. You know, I, you know, I, I didn't have that, I didn't have the grid, I didn't have the, you know what I mean? I just wasn't there. But relational connection, understanding in your relationship to God unlocks your mind, man. You know, it unlocks your being. And what's more, you get to experience the supernatural, mystical realm of heaven. You know, that no drug can actually get you into on this level. And see it manifest in the earth. You know, and experience God who's spirit. And that's just a lot of fun. So, Lord, we thank you for the reality that we've not come to a mountain that could be touched and burned with smoke, that we've come to Mount Zion. That you ripped the veil from top to bottom, and it's not just the veil of the temple. The holiest place of all of the universe is now on the inside of us. There's no more striving or stressing to get into that place. That place is here. And now we're, you're here and we're there and it's simultaneous. Lord, I ask that the mystic reality 
of true New Testament Christianity, biblical Christianity, would come into the minds of everybody, even under the sound of my voice, with your inspiration, even in the simplicity and practicality of making room to know you. You've given us the Bible and your word and, and, and you speak to us through it and you speak to us by your spirit. It's like, Lord, I thank you so much for the reality of this thing. And Lord, I ask that there would be even a greater hunger, even the gift of hunger for everybody that hears my voice to know and connect to you. Because biblically, and it is my experience, the more room that we make, that I've made for you, the more I've become unlocked and have grown. We want to step into the reality of this inheritance. And we don't want to be in any way like Esau to where we are flippant about everything you've paid for us to walk in. Thank you for your goodness. Amen.